As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi Seb. Hello Joe Devine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, very keen there. Very keen hello. Before I'd I've even finish talking... I've got energy. Hey. I'm cutting so, off all the time. Yeah. It's the thing I most enjoy. <sighs> JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello. How are you doing? Yes. Delightful. Okay. And also, we're very pleased to be joined today by Chris Kamrani, all the way from the United States of America and the Athletics uh, Soccer Vertical. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you doing today? Did you enjoy that game? Yeah. I, I, like I said earlier, I think I have more questions for you than you might have for me, but we can get into that soon enough. Good. Well, hopefully I don't have to answer them because I know nothing. But listen, we'll be talking about so much today, including, of course, the England-USA game. We're going to talk about the probably what was maybe the most fun game of the day, the, the early game, Wales and Iran. Bid on Netherlands and Ecuador. Qatar, of course, out of the tournament already. Uh, Senegal uh, getting a nice win there. And some first round takeaways from JJ, who wasn't here yesterday when the when the first round of games ended. So we'll be doing that a little bit later. Delighted to see that he looks surprised to hear me. I said no, that. I've written it down. You've written it down. Yeah. That's good news. Well, if you like stuff written down, then you'll love The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can avail yourselves of a lovely deal at the moment, can't you, Seb? You really can. It's a special Black Friday deal. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a pound a month for six months or for a year. It's one of the two. I we should have learned before we came on the podcast. I think it's six months. But anyway, either, either way. Either is a great it's deal. It's very good. Do you know really what? It is deal. always, when it's uh, Black Friday, it's, it's always around uh, Thanksgiving, isn't it? Yeah, it's Happy Thanksgiving, America. Happy Thanksgiving, Chris. Did you enjoy yourself, Chris? Yeah, I'm still having a bit of a tryptophan hangover from all of the turkey I digested yesterday. Luckily enough, this match was at noon my time as opposed to the early match, which was 3 a.m. my yeah. time. So. And of course, also, there wasn't lots of adrenaline in this game, so you didn't have to worry about all that food sitting heavy on your stomach because there was really nothing to be excited about, was there? Um, but of course, we'll, uh, we'll come to discuss that more. Fine. In which case, I will leave you then in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Chris Kamrani. Yes, lovely. Okay, let's begin, of course. Where else? With England, nil. Nil, USA. Chris, let me come to you first. Um, we thought the USA played very well in this game, and their performance was probably a bit more evenly spaced throughout the game as opposed to um, against Wales, where they played very well in the first half, less well in the second. What do you think they did well in this game? 
I think Greg Burkhalter won the tactical battle against Gareth Southgate. I don't think England was able to adjust to the flat 4-4-2 that the U.S. came out and played. And they played extremely direct, kind of the way Wales did against the U.S. in that second half of the opener. And it just seemed like the U.S. had more in the tank than the English players did, especially in the second half. I think England had the better of the play the first 20, 25 minutes. But after that... Uh, the the U.S. midfield I thought was was very very impressive, playing Weston McKinney who is predominantly a, a central holding midfielder at times, playing him bas- basically as a right winger um, to combine with players like Serginho Dest and Tim Weah I thought was a stroke of genius, and I think England had a very difficult time adjusting to that. And oddly enough, as you guys know. Um, the England midfield in that opener against Iran was so dominant with Declan Rice and Jude. Bellingham, but they were completely non-existent because of the way the U.S. were able to set themselves up and basically win so many 50-50 balls. And uh, I, I think American fans can be proud of the performance, but I think you have to look back on this match the same way you'll look back on that Wales match and think, there were three points there to be had, believe it or not. Yeah. JJ, you mentioned during the game that Weston McKenney was, was sort of standout for you. What was it that he did so well? Uh, he did all the things you need him to do as a midfielder. Uh, like we're just saying there, he was joining up on the right wing an awful lot. So like USA's out of possession shape was a 4-4-2, but it's actually a full sort of 4-3-3 because Pulisic was pushing up to join in. And then they were attacking with right and way through the middle and McKenney would help out on the right wing as well. And sometimes the fullbacks would overlap or underlap. Uh, I mean, McKenney was just good at giving a bit of bite and drive to that team. I think uh, as much as USA had control of that, that game and the players like McKinney looked really good. I think England basically were set up to just see that out as a draw. I don't think they tried. Mm. They played tournament football and didn't expend any energy. So they'll have loads left for the next game. They're already through now. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Chris, can I ask you a question about, about the sort of perception of, um, of soccer within, within the States, particularly in a big game like this, obviously it's in a world cup. Um, you're against England. I heard a, a colleague of yours, Sam on the athletic football podcast this morning, describing, um, the the USA soccer team, the men's team, is wanting to maybe beat England more than any other team to earn their their respect. Do you think that's Do you think that's true? I think so. Just because the fact that this roster has so many players that have either played in the EPL or are currently playing there, these players know each other, and you just start at the top. Christian Pulisic is teammates with guys like Connor Gallagher and Mason Mount. These are guys that he's known for a very long time. So the familiarity between these two sides runs pretty deep compared to, let's say, when the U.S. plays Iran on Tuesday. It, there, there is going to be basically zero, zero familiarity. But um, yeah, I, I think it's an easy rivalry to tap into. I, I don't want to you know, fall back into the, all of the very tired, cliche, historical um, uh, barbs that, that Americans tend to throw out when we you know, play England in a... In a in a in a match but i mean we the the 2010 match as as you remember was also a big deal mm-hmm. also oddly a very i i don't know i think it was a stinker i, I remember yeah. you know it was boring, poor, rob, yeah. poor, poor rob green had that shocker and then other than that it wasn't that intriguing of a match so i don't know if going forward we can find a way for fifa to not allow the u.s and england <laughs> to play in, in group stage now, now, if we're talking in, we're talking about knockout stages, I think that would be way 
way more interesting. Mm. But I, but I, I, I agree with, uh, you know, what you guys have been saying. I think England didn't want to expend that much energy necessarily. And you could tell as the U.S. got on the front foot, really charged for that goal. England was very much content to see the game out, um, make sure to protect Harry Kane's ankle at all costs, obviously. <laughs> And, uh, you know, not totally drain the gas tank ahead of what, well, I assume will be, a, a, you know, a pretty emotional rivalry match for themselves against Wales coming up on Tuesday as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, draw for England kind of suits, I suppose. I think they have to suffer fairly heavy defeats to Wales in order to not qualify now. The USA, uh, two points after two games, going into the final game against Iran, needing a win. Um, you mentioned earlier that it was the early game today was at 3 a.m. your time. So I don't know if you caught the Wales-Iran game, but Iran looked very strong today. How, how do you feel about the USA's chances going into that game? Yeah, ironically enough, I'm actually of Persian descent. My dad's from Iran. Um, so I actually woke up to change my son's diaper at the 70th minute. It was about 4.30 a.m. And uh, I sat in bed and, and watched the finish. Obviously, a, a fantastic result for that team. Um, but w- pertaining to the U.S.-Iran showdown, I think the U.S. have their work cut out for them. I think Iran showed who they were today, albeit against a lesser side in Wales, and they, you know, they got they got their stuff handed to them um, by England in the first match. But Iran will be a very difficult team for the U.S. to break down. They'll be similar to Wales. Iran is going to defend deep, and they have quality players. I mean, I think you can argue that Iran has, after England, Iran has the highest quality attacking players that have scored and performed at the club level. And I say that with guys like Mehdi Taremi, who has been Porto's superstar in Champions League for the last couple of years. This is not going to be an easy match for the U.S., and it's, you know, now both teams have everything to play for. You, mm. or Iran is is also, is I guess we could argue, is in the driver's seat as well in terms of, you know, being able to see out results the way they want to. And uh, it's it's going to be a fascinating game of cat and mouse between Greg Burhalter and Carlos Queiroz because Iran, with those three massive points, are going to be able to set themselves up a little differently as opposed to having to maybe chase a win. I think Iran is going to uh, muck it up as much as they possibly can. And this U.S. team, while they're tremendously talented and young, they've historically had a hard time breaking down teams that dare them to break them down with very long, intricate spells of possession, even as we saw today against England. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, I often think this is like one of the most exciting times in the World Cup when the second games of the group stages start and are finished and you, you get an idea of the landscape, you know what teams yeah. need going into the final game. USA-Iran is just one of a few already big games that we're excited for, for next week. Well, I mean, you've watched both of those teams fairly closely and you're impressed with the US today, yeah. but you were also impressed with Iran. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed with Iran's resilience because I think this side that well, the performance they gave against England was clearly deeply affected by context. Um, I think JJ said that at the time. I think we were kind of unimpressed by Iran, but actually they came back and they were absolutely excellent. So um, that's in their favour. But I, I think it'd be a mistake to present them just as a kind of a tough nut to crack. The football they played, particularly the kind of the the way they built attacking phases and the way that they kind of exploited the Welsh weaknesses was absolutely superb. Uh, the goalkeeper had, had a great game. Remember, also, um, the goalkeeper had a great game having seen, um, well, the players ahead of him in the pecking order suffer a really nasty injury in the first game. Um, he only has uh, seven caps, I think, Hassani. He was excellent. 
So I couldn't be more impressed. And I, I think um, it's funny, like I, whenever you see something like what's happened to Iran take place during a World Cup, I always feel like you never want to have to get something off that team. They're riding some sort of emotional um, current, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think what was interesting today is that the, the USA we saw in the first game um, was, I'm not sure which one we, we expected to show up, whether it was the kind of the first half against Wales or the second. This was very much the first half um, side, but this was a kind of 70, 80 minute performance. And I, I kind of disagree with JJ a little bit because I, I think England were a little bit reserved and they were quite conservative, but I also think there were some big failings and the Americans exploited them really, really well. I thought they were superior. Um, and particularly midfield, I, I was really, really impressed by the kind of connectivity between those three players, Adams, McKenney, and Musa. I thought that was, that was excellent, far better than the English trio. Um, so I wouldn't like to call a winner. I just, I think what's important, given some of the conversations about like Champions League dead rubbers and um, non-event games in sort of domestic leagues, it's really good to go into a third round of group games thinking, I want to watch that game. Mm -hmm. In the same way, for instance, that I'm really looking forward to seeing Ecuador against Senegal mm. um, in you know, the, the, the other group that, that played today. Um, these are great games with loads of things at stake. And they're just, they're also occasions. Iran, USA is a massive game in all yeah. sorts of different ways. And that's, uh, you know, having an awful lot of um, sporting jeopardy at stake is clearly to its benefit. So sure. yeah, I wouldn't like to call a winner though, Joe. No, it's a tough one. Yeah. Um, Chris, in terms of your, your expectations <clears throat> of how England would play today, um, even just in terms of, in terms of performance level and how they, how they did play, what, what did you think? And I mean, were you surprised by how poor they were? I was surprised that players like Raheem Sterling, um, players like Harry Kane, Saka, they just were not that much of a factor going <laughs> forward. And I, and I have to not fall victim to the moment of how tantalizing they were in that opener against Iran because, I mean, they were having, they had their way with Iran, which is to be polite. Um, <laughs> to me, I, I was surprised that a player that I think is one of the best players in the world, regardless of age, Phil Foden, couldn't find his way into this match, who I think has the caliber of skill to single-handedly you know, win himself a game or win his country a game. The fact that a player like Phil Foden is on the bench when England so desperately needed a spark, I found really interesting. And both of the manager's substitution patterns were, were interesting as well. I mean, bringing on Marcus Rashford with about eight or nine minutes left, I thought Rashford could have played a huge role, either playing him centrally if you wanted to go to a formation where you play him alongside Kane or play him out wide. It just seemed like players that have a tremendous combination of skill and pace and technical ability, the players that we saw on full display against Iran just seemed off today. So it was a disappointing performance for me. Ironically enough, I was texting with, you know, one of my closest friends who is a diehard England fan. Uh, he grew up on, on an Air Force base in England. So even though he's American, you know, diehard Free Lions fan, Harry Maguire, I thought, was the man of the match for mm, England. Yeah. I mean, every especially in that second half when England was or when the U.S. were pumping crosses and corners into the box, it seemed like Harry Maguire got to everyone and they were all dangerous balls delivered in. From Christian Pulisic so uh, I guess Harry Maguire gets to survive for another day and, and maybe will be let off the hook a little bit by the English press going into this finale against Wales don't bet on it Chris <laughs> <laughs> Phil Foden that's a good point raised by Chris Phil Foden JJ we had the same conversation when we were watching it uh, we debated whether or not he did come on in the first game we think he did uh, towards the end he did definitely did. he yeah. didn't come on in this game what why do you think that is you've got some ideas don't you um, well, I think it's because he might give the ball away by trying things that will open up the opposition. 
Because what you can, so Grealish gets the ball, you put him on the wing, he dribbles a bit, he draws fouls, he gets you move move the pitch slowly like rugby. Yeah, That's what he does. Um, Sterling can get in behind, you trust him because he's a leader, a captain, legend. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, he's fast, he gets in behind basically is what he does. And he's got a goal scoring record in big tournaments. Yeah, I think it's more for his, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Uh, Saka is good defensively and will do whatever the manager tells him and is also good at driving with the ball. Doesn't, try things he tends to make things yeah. happen when he knows they definitely will will come off it sounds like you're saying phil foden doesn't get on the pitch because he might do something yeah i know it sounds stupid <laughs> which is but, the same reason maybe you would want him on the pitch uh yes but the whole point is to not make mistakes so like i love phil foden as well yeah. i love watching him play and uh he would get in the spain team and would be one of their best players yeah. right now in the way they play perfect southgate doesn't play like that he plays to minimize mistakes and keep it really nice and tight and control it and try and conserve your energy against the USA, really slow tempo. Like, USA could easily have won that game, easily with the, some of the breaks they had on. Equally, I mean, that the, the free kick at the end almost went in with, was it Kane that headed it wide? Yeah. And that's what Southgate's playing for, that one It was the 93rd goal. minute. I mean, I think it was an uncontested header. I think it was just a bit of an awkward angle. He kinda, yeah, he kind of shanked it wide with his head, didn't he? But like, you can, I mean, I think you could have changed things really early on because they, they were playing this, it was the 4-3-3, but slightly... What's the word? Not lopsided. What's the word? Asymmetrical. Asymmetrical, yeah. Because yeah. Mount effectively goes near like Sterling and Kane and Saka in a line. Can I draw a line? I've got a board up for you if you're listening to this on the podcast. Incidentally, this is a good moment for me to mention for people listening to the podcast. You can watch us live on YouTube immediately after the final game of any game day. Uh, you can And you can see what JJ is doing on the board. Although he'll try to do a good job of narrating it for the listeners. I'm going to try really hard, yes. Because what USA were doing, they had Wea and Wright were the two forwards. So the block would start with these two um, and then you have Rice uh, it plays between the triangle of, well, he is part of the triangle with Maguire and Stones. So you get a triangle with Rice. And then Bellingham would drop in the right side to try and help out and offer a, a pass out when they were trying to build from the back. But then Mount was staying up for like higher up the pitch with Kane and maybe Saka. And then USA just had them everyone else locked down. So everyone else they were tight to and they couldn't get the ball into them. It was really a cleverly coordinated press. And then England just kept passing back, back, back to try and draw USA out a bit so they might be able to get a ball into someone like Mount. But as soon as Mount got the ball, bang, someone's typed him. Yeah. And the ball has to go back. So they were just really careful. They don't want to risk those passes anymore. A good note here is that we watched this game with uh, illustrator Alice, who's uh, relatively oh. new to watching football regularly. And she uh, commented that it was uh, it was almost as though in these moments the USA had 13 players on the pitch. Yeah, I think because they were at certain points, I, can't, I didn't watch it looking for their press in mind. I'm sure John McKenzie did. But I think they were man-to-man at certain points, but basically they were just making sure they knew the ball would go to certain areas mm-hmm. so they could then lock that down and keep the ball where they wanted it to. And then when England didn't get forward, they didn't commit many players in the final third because they didn't want to open up any space for a counter-attack. Yeah. And when they counter-attacked, they had Pulisic, <clears throat> right, Wea, McKenney would be part of that. The Musa and Adams following up. Sometimes the, one of the full-backs would join in and it was all really well coordinated. I agree with it being the tactical battle one. Uh, by the USA, but I also think that Southgate doesn't, I don't think he really cared. I think they had, in sure. a weird way, control of the game, but not doing it. And people like Phil Foden, you bring him on, to try and bring him back into this. You put Foden on at any point in this game, he'll receive in, in tight areas, try and dribble past a couple of players because he yeah. might get through and score that goal for you. Or he might be the one that can open up the pack defence, but he's also the one that might get 
tackled and then the ball turns over and they go there. JJ, well, I, have, indeed. I, I have a question. Sorry, just no, to no, cut no. in there, Joe. I can't remember a time in the game when England attacked with more than four players. Yeah. Um, it was, that was so disappointing. I, I think one of the, one of the, the best things the US did during the game was kind of take away Bellingham as a threat. Everywhere he went, there was pressure on him. Never saw him have an impact in the box, really. And yet, um, any time England crossed the halfway line, I was kind of desperate for them just to stop, build a phase, set up, and create some kind of uh, some kind of crossing or passing angle, or at least a little bit of territorial dominance. It never happened. There were at any a few point. moments in the in the first half. After about ten minutes or fifteen yeah. minutes, it felt like there was a moment, JJ, where you said, "Oh, England are going to score soon." That's what it feels like. It felt inevitable. There were point, one or yeah. two moves in a row where Saka, particularly, I think, was uh, was able with one one twos to get through into the box. Well, that was it. They were doing things like they were they were uh, spinning a ball into one person who'd lay off into another first time. So it was like a ball from maybe Mount into Kane, laid it off first into Sterling, or a, a ball straight into Saka, maybe from Rice, and then he laid it off into Kane, who put it first time into Sterling, or other way around, you know, Sterling to Kane to Saka, something like that. Quick combinations, one touch passing, that pulls teams apart. It's why Spain are really good at creating chances in these tight areas because the tempo is fast mm. to stretch them out. When you've got a team who sits back, when USA would go back into their block, it would very much be a four-four-two, peel six slightly further forward. But they're trying to condense it, so the ball has to go wide. Then the ball goes out to someone like Shaw, and then the only option is to put the ball in the box for a header. Even magical Captain Harry Kane can't score a header in this congested box, so that doesn't mm. work. So then they just keep it and they recycle it. It's that horseshoeing thing that uh, John was talking about. You know, you go back, you keep it safe. You are defensively sound because you're not giving the opposition the ball, yeah. and you're also defensively sound because you're not leaving yourself vulnerable to the counter punch, which is exactly what the USA want to do. Yeah. Well, it's worth saying. I listened to the Athletic Football podcast this morning, and um, they were they were saying on that they were giving uh, Gareth Southgate the the credit in so far as he is a manager who you know the last thing you can say of him is that he will underestimate an opponent at a at a tournament. I mean, clearly, like the way that England set up today showed a great deal of respect to what the USA team is able to do. That they didn't attack at very many opportunities with more than four players also shows what they believe can be done to them on the counter-attack. And also, it's nil-nil, and they've essentially qualified without having to do anything. It reminds me of the Euros when they drew with Scotland. It was very yeah. much the same to me, very much. They knew it was a tough opponent who'd be super pumped up for it. Like, you knew USA would be up for this one, right into it, and they were, they'd have all the yeah. aggression. I, was saying to, I can't remember who I was talking to earlier, but you can't really manufacture that motivation. Yeah. But England are much better than the USA. They have much better players. They've got more you know, success historically, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're better on FIFA, all these things. You wouldn't know it from today. Well, you know. <laughs> but then that's the thing. USA really hyped up because they want to beat England. They really do. And they've got the tactics all right, the motivation right, and the players all played really well. England's touch were a little bit loose now and again. Yeah. So you've got that sort of motivation going against you. Same with Scotland, really pumped up. Like nil-nil counted as a win for Scotland in that tournament. Mm. It, it really did. And uh, England were poor in that game. And, you, and I, looking back on it now, with retrospect, I think they didn't care because they were. They knew if they got a point out of that, they'd more than likely be through anyway. Sure. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about Gareth Southgate and what people think of him in the in the in the future. Uh, it's clever tournament management, is what I think it is. Yeah. I'm trying to give him a bit of credit. No, I think, I, th I, think that, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. I I do agree. I just think that if you want that to be, if you want to sell that to the public, you then have to actually go and win the tournament at the end of it because otherwise. It feels very unfulfilling. <laughs> no, of, of course it is. I, I, I think that's a bit over the top. Like no, they, they've I, got I to a semi-final in the last World Cup. They've got to yeah. the final in the Euros. That's further than they've been for decades. I think it, I think that's like I, that's I do agree, but <laughs> right. I also think this is the richest talent pool they've had in decades too. Maybe if not ever, 
I think that what in about terms the golden of what about the golden generation, hmm? but all the gold. I think remember the gold. all that gold. The, the golden generation were a quarterfinal team, and this group of players I think is better. I think I'm, I'm a Gareth Southgate fan. I'm yeah. just trying to explain why the negative thing. You better be. I, I know, but <laughs> I think the problem USA. becomes like. England now, you may get further, but the trade-off in tournaments is this kind of performance. And I, yeah. okay, maybe they're conserving energy. Maybe this is, a, in, in a way, a reaction to the amount of football some of these, these players have played. Well, maybe, but there's plenty of American players who are playing Europe too. And I also, it's very difficult to kind of rationalize because you always have these little questions. We've talked about Phil Foden, for instance. We've talked about how um, how marginalized Urbukai Saka was. We talked about... Um, the lack of effect that Jude Bellingham um, yeah. was able to have, able to exert on this game, and I feel like it's, it's, it's a very reduced form of some of these players. And Absolutely, but they qualified. If they qualify, fantastic. And if they go and win games and get far in tournaments, fantastic. I just think the journey for a lot of people is a little bit of a slog, and it's, yeah. that's why there is a little bit of pushback. Well, speaking well, of the journey, Chris, yes. I can't let you come on this podcast without me as a British person asking you about soccer in America because I'm obsessed with it. Um, I love the idea of, it, of its growth over there, and I'm uh, curious to hear from, from a US perspective. Firstly, what's the coverage been like of the World Cup? Does it feel like more people... Uh, than the normal are interested in soccer right now? It's tough. This uh, having a World Cup tournament over Thanksgiving and close to Christmas where uh, the sports calendar is basically a slog of NFL and NBA games. I think it's a tough sell. And I think honestly, the the time the time slots benefit this US team. Obviously, they get prime time spots for all of their group stage matches. I think that will help. But oddly enough, I think much of the media coverage, guys, has really been tailored towards spinning it forward to 2026 when this group of really talented players will be able to play on home soil or in Mexico or Canada, mm -hmm. you know, basically home soil in North America and, and be able to reach kind of that quote unquote potential that this group believes. And, and I think a lot of, you know, U.S. soccer followers believe can be reached, um, but it hasn't necessarily been uh, to the likings of, you know, I think for me, kind of the gold standard of, oddly enough, of, you know, media coverage for a U.S. men's national team World Cup was 2014 in Brazil um, when there was, you know, oddly a lot of hype because of, you know, the, 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 it was kind of like the last gasp of that generation. Landon Donovan had been left off mm. in a shocking in a shocking result by Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, the U.S. was in that quote-unquote group of death with Ghana, Portugal, and Germany. Um, but th this year has been odd because it's 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 a hard sell during this jam-packed sports calendar here, and a lot of I think a lot of people don't necessarily know these young players, and they haven't fallen in love with them over several cycles the way they had with your Clint Dempsey's and Landon Donovan's and Michael Bradley's. Um, I think so many people have PTSD after what happened in Trinidad and Tobago in 2017, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I think, you know, the, the fact that th this team has shown decently well so far, I mean, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. They've scored one goal in two matches and, and they held England, you know, scoreless today, which is, which is an accomplishment, I think. Um, but I do think if you look at the grand scheme of things, this is a team that I think is still being sold to the public from a media perspective because they haven't necessarily um, achieved anything major yet in order for the people to rightly buy into them. Yeah, yeah. And so in terms of the team themselves, are there big plans ahead of 2026? Is there, is there a sort of um, 
Is there an idea of where they want the team to be by that point? Is there? I'm presuming the idea is that they they want to grow the popularity of soccer in the in the nation between now and then, and that might sort of reach a peak. I think so. I, I think that you look at this youth movement that the men's national team has undergone since the failures of the 2018 World Cup qualifying cycle. I think they're they're in the right frame of mind. You you see so many young American players playing in Europe where they need to be playing. And I think you saw the quality today. I mean, there, there were so many times when England had the U.S. pinned back. And previously, when the U.S. would try to play out of the back against teams that were much better than them, you kind of grimaced because you were afraid that maybe a 1-2 wasn't going to go off or a counter press was going to able to strip a defender that would lead to a quick chance. The U.S. have the quality to be able to hang with some of these teams now. I think for them, it's just a matter of taking it up a notch. And by that, I mean, you know, having enough talent to win a group in 2026, as opposed Mm -hmm. to scratching and clawing for second place where they traditionally have found themselves, Um, which which kind of goes back to, you know, your discussion of, you know, the way England set themselves up, I thought is kind of a, a dangerous way to approach it. If you're the alpha of the group, which I imagine England to be, which I believe England to be is. You know, you go out, you, you seem to kind of be content with a draw today, but this is a crazy sport. And who knows if Gareth Bale, you know, waves goodbye to a rival the way Gareth Bale can do. And maybe maybe Wales draws with England. And who knows? Can, the fact that Iran can win the group if they beat the U.S. and England and England is held to a deadlock with Wales is, is insane to me. So uh, this is a long tangent, but I just think like the, the U.S. need to get to a place, I think, where come four years from now, they can comfortably be able to compete with the powers of the world and not necessarily consider themselves that quote unquote underdog, because that's a cliche that I think a lot of fans have been tired of for a while now. I think also that we said this after the the USA's first game against Wales in this tournament, that that, in terms of the performances so far, this, uh, this tournament, that's gone. Like they, they were just, they've just been a good team in the group. And that's quite nice to see. Before I let you go, Gio Reyna, lots of questions in the chat about Gio Reyna. Why, why is Gio Reyna not starting, do you think? I, I think going back to our conversation about Phil Foden, I think a lot of what we talked about, what Foden does or could potentially do for it, for an English team, I think you can apply that to the way Reyna plays within this U.S. setup, not to mention the fact that he is a supremely talented player that unfortunately finds himself injured so supremely often that it is absurd that, I mean, it, it is it is a it is a great thing that he managed to get himself into this group and be able to be fit into play, but he is a player that traditionally just has been very hard to rely on because of injury, injury questions and injury concerns, especially during his time at Dortmund, um, as we saw in the last friendly against Saudi Arabia in September, um, you know, I think he played 40, 45 minutes and then immediately felt something in the hamstring and had to, you know, single signal, signal to the bench. That, that is a concern, especially for such a young player, but it is, it is an interesting question. And I think I, I haven't been able to watch Greg Berhalter's post-game press conference today to, I'm sure he was asked about that, but it is, very confounding if you think of a player of his talent and caliber, uh, regardless of his injury concerns. If he's on the team, if he, if he's in your match day squad, you believe him to be a player that can make a difference. And the fact that the U.S. played 173 minutes before implementing him into a match, I think is is very interesting. And I think when you look back on the the complexion of 
Greg Berhalter's tenure, as you, as you guys know, uh, you know, national team managers, it all boils down to how you manage a squad at a World Cup. Mm. And if the U.S. don't manage to go through, if if Geo plays limited minutes against Iran and it doesn't have an impact, I can't help but wonder what that will matter for Greg's kind of legacy in terms of turning this whole project around while also not being able to find a spot for a player who, you know, routinely starts for one of the best teams in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Okay, fine. And but just before I let you go, Chris, uh, who's your favorite for the tournament? <sighs> I, I I told my friends I really like this Brazil squad, and oddly enough, I don't have that much of a problem with Neymar missing matches because I think this team is deep enough. And I think Brazil so often kind of falls victim to the to what Portugal falls victim to with over-reliance on a player like Cristiano Ronaldo. I think Brazil can kind of get that way with, with Neymar. Now, Neymar is one of the top five players in the world. I'm not disputing his quality. But if you look at the way this Brazil team can play when they can be so free-flowing and not necessarily rely on one player or a player that you guys know a player that can stop start matches by so many fouls and so many, you know, dives. I think this Brazil team has the quality and just, uh, they're, they're a fun team to watch. And I think for me, uh, this Brazil team has what it takes to, to win the title, but it's, it's difficult. Brazil's always struggled in world cups away from, uh, South America. And it's been 20 years since, since they won my, or wait, 98, was it? Yeah. Not 2002, yeah. So 98, I mean, that's 24 years. It's been a very long time. Well, so They won in 2002, Brazil. So Oh, was it 2002? Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 So but a long did. time, far, far too long for, for, a, for a country with that kind of footballing culture, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Chris, uh, Chris Camerani, thank you very much for joining us today. Much appreciate that. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, and, Chris. Uh, we'll go to a break now. When we come back, we'll do a little bit more England and then we'll uh, talk about the other games of the day. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, for England, JJ, going into the final game against Wales, not a bad position to be in, of course, because I think, as ITV said, unless they lose 4-0 or more, they have uh, qualified, you know, which is ideal, because you expect that Wales will be up for that game. Against England. Against England. Yes, I think they'll be up for that one, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next game then. See, I was just keeping them in to get them past the ad break, you know, so they could carry on thinking there was going to be more... It's not because I thought them. there'd be more. It's because I was just using it as a tool to get people to keep, do you know what I'm saying? Well for played. To, for them to roll over past yeah. the, the ad break and for them to, again, I, it's not that I thought there'd be more to discuss. It's, it's that I thought it was going to be, you know, Wales nil to Iran. That was a cracker, wasn't it, Seb? That was a really exciting game. 
Yeah, I think it's probably as involved as I've been in any game this tournament. Um, we watched it together. It was very gripping. It's one of those games which, during the course of the 90 minutes, you see little themes emerge. And over time, they kind of build and build and build. And a kind of crescendo winner, as the Stadio boys would describe it, I guess. But um, I was I was so impressed with Iran. Um, I remember we, we sat down to watch it. And just before... Well, whilst the Iranians were singing their national anthem on the on the big screen, they showed a, an elderly man who just burst into tears uh-huh. and um, can't speculate on why. Um, but um, obviously he was in um, was having a difficult time of it. And it was a very affecting moment. I remember thinking if Iran are able to escrate themselves from this situation with um, the players singing their national anthem, and I, I don't think it's. Um, unfair to say that they seem conflicted whilst doing so. Yes. Um, and all the, the chatter, the humiliation of conceding six goals in their first game to England, and then to come and produce a performance like that was just outstanding. They played with it with an aggression, didn't they? With a kind of a fierceness in this game. Uh, an aggression, but also class. Yeah. I thought that what I was expecting was, I think resiliency is one aspect of a team performance. And um, very often when you have, when you face adversity, you're galvanized into, you know, right lads let's prove people wrong stand behind the ball make sure we don't give one anything away fine but also they played ever so well up front so Sada Asman was spectacular yeah well also Sada Asman uh, he played um, I think it's fewer than 300 Bundesliga minutes this season Mm. which is not very many he's barely played any football I think he lasted about 68 minutes of this game he was absolutely excellent he was down three times he was down three times two of those were for cramp and somehow they kind of um stuck him back together with gaffer tape and and got him going again but he was great his battle with joe roden i thought was one of the sort of the little conflicts of the game it the, was, of it the was first really half particularly yeah yeah roden played very well um but also in the second half Asmoon um raced away hit the post in that kind of bizarre sequence when they hit the post twice within 30 seconds and um i thought teremi was great uh, we know teremi because of his champions league performances and his form mm. for uh for porto but um his combinations with Asmoon um were were a delight, actually, in the way that Iran brought players into their attack when they were going forward. Exactly what we were just criticising for not doing mm. earlier, about 10 minutes ago, Iran were very, very good at. And they were too good for Wales. I suppose it's two different reactions from uh, from a win and a loss in the in the first round. Understandable, I suppose, isn't it? Um, we'll come back to talk about Iran a l- little bit more. Um, but JJ, Wales... Wales were poor in the game. Wales were awful. What what went wrong for them? I think we're supposed to say that they tried really hard, so that's good, and they ran a lot, but they were dreadful. Their first touch was terrible. Yeah, it was close. You know, it was closer in the first half, but there were there were indications all the way through, albeit a bit more subtly than in the second half, that Iran w- were dominating the game. Wales just they just never got hold of it. Just it looks so poor. Uh, too much depth between the back line and the forward line. I think Moore and Bale. I mean, Bale was even playing. I, do you have any touches apart from yeah. at the end? I don't, I don't remember. Did him you playing. think when you when you saw the team sheet and you saw Keith Moore and you thought that's going to suit Bale a little bit more than playing with Dan James and his level of involvement, if anything, was less. Honestly, the, not really. I game. didn't think it made a difference. Really, Cause, okay. cause he just doesn't do anything. He's playing. He's doing like a bit like what Ronaldo does, where he's just there for the moments when they happen, but then he's a passenger the rest of the time. He's not putting pressure on anyone. He's not winning the ball back. He's not really doing anything to bring the team up the pitch. Uh, the first touch of almost everyone, apart from maybe like Harry Wilson, was really poor. Ampadu was rushing things in possession. Mm. Aaron Ramsey looked exactly as bad as he's been for the Rangers the last while. I've not watched him play at all in France, so I don't know how well he's getting on there. I haven't seen him much. But he, he he was not good at Rangers. 
Um, doesn't look like, he's not at all the same player he was that we remember from Arsenal. Which this is, is a long time ago. He's not that old. Aaron Ramsey no. is 31, I think. But they've all dropped off. Bale's not the same. Like they've, no. They're all dropped off a little bit. I mean, the things we're bad at are tactically, I thought they were really poor. And then also uh, seeing Cam in possession, playing through lines, they had none of that. So they were just hoofing it long not able to keep up with it. And they were leaving gaps at the back that Aram was just running straight through. Aram looked so much better. I thought Asmoon in particular was uh, really, really good. Mm. Um, yeah. Athletically, that's an Azatola, amazing performance. he had a good game as well. Yeah. Thought, yeah. And Golazadeh as well had a good game yes, on that yes, yes. side with his lovely left foot. But yeah, I thought, so in research for all the uh, all the World Cup games, I thought Aram looked really good. And uh, so I was surprised that they got uh, done in by England in that game. But we, we speculated why that might have been the last one of the other podcasts that we did. Uh, yeah, I mean, what is there? To, uh, Wales are they're out now, aren't they? Well, no, they can still they can still they win. Can, the, they could. Is it be England sorry, four they one point? They they could, no, technically, technically, they could still qualify if there's a draw between Iran and uh, between the USA, and yeah. if they win by, uh, I guess, enough goals. I, I think it's four more than four goals. If they beat England by more than four goals, then they can. That's just uh, that's just the that's just the scenario that England oh, right, don't okay. qualify in. Okay, like at okay. the moment, like Iran are currently on three points. If they drew with the USA, the USA would also be on three points. Iran would be on four. Wales would be on four if they beat England. It's just a case of goal difference, and they would almost naturally go through immediately because Iran ships six goals. So if yeah. they if they win and there's a draw in the other game, so I think that there's still the opportunity. If they could beat England by three goals. Then yes, I'm just looking at the, the table now. Yeah, so they would need to yes, so probably score at least three goals. I don't I don't uh, think so because the competition is against Iran, who conceded six. I'm pretty sure from a goal well, difference perspective. I mean, no, but, it, but, it, but if the USA were to beat Iran, I mean, if, if the USA beat Iran, then Wales can't go through. Regardless, they've got to score yeah. goals. Let's, let's not do yeah. maths live on the live stream yeah. because yeah. we can't do it. I think the idea is if Wales win and there's a draw win. in the other yeah. game, then they're more than likely to go through. <laughs> the point let's is to make be able an to assumption. score goals. They've got to play in a different way yeah. to create chances to do that. Yeah. And I don't know how they want to create chances. I don't. Well, their only goal so far has come from a penalty. I don't see what their chance creation is though. Are they relying on these wing backs, Nico Williams I, I, and, and Connor Roberts getting up the pitch? Roberts. Roberts' delivery from wide seems to be Must a really important part of things. There's um, no pressure on people. There's no aggression. Uh, Williams is like, I, I don't like Williams on the left. I don't think it works quite as well. Um, Roberts put in one really good ball in the first half and that was probably as close as Wales really got. Apart from there was a, yeah, there was a, a Kiefer Moore header from a Roberts cross in the um, in the first half, which, which Hassani saved. Um, other than that, I'm struggling to think of any clear opportunities they created. There was a chance earlier, wasn't there? With Moore went flying That's the one a... from, from Roberts. Yeah. I think that came in from wide, yeah. Yeah, like to really so disappointed with Wales. I thought they'd be much better. I thought they'd have a real go at it. Well, let's 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 look further ahead than than this group and this tournament and talk about Wales more generally. Um, because at the moment it's kind of unclear what kind of team they will become. The star players of Gareth Bale, we mentioned Aaron Ramsey, although I was surprised to hear that he is only thirty-one. Um, Joe Allen, if we can include him, they won't be at the next World Cup. It's very unlikely that they will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does the future look like for Wales? I mean, are there good players coming through that can help maintain their their FIFA rankings, or, or do you think they're going to well recede again? I don't think you can replace what Bale has been and what Ramsey was. Maybe not what Ramsey is right now, but a, you know, a really, really good player at his best. Um, Roden is still quite young. Um, Mepham too, and so you know Robertson. Mepham too is he the one that comes after Mepham one? He's, yeah, he's, he's even better. Square. If that's yeah, he's, he's taller. He's if there's a direct the replacement, the Chris Mepham is now. That's brilliant. Um, he has features you don't really want, though, but it arguably does make him better. Right. There's also he has another smaller two-tailed fox that hangs around with him. Right. All the time. Okay. 
So sometimes when he loses the ball, the fox picks it up, which is useful at times. Handball. Yeah. Wales have quite an interesting... Poor um, ball. Interesting generation in the wings. So we've seen a little bit of Brennan Johnson playing for Nottingham Forest. I think most people would say describe him as a pretty good player. Ben Cabango, the Swansea City defender. Silver Thomas, who is at Huddersfield, who um, I think if you... If you haven't seen much Huddersfield, but you managed to catch the um, the playoff final between Huddersfield and Nottingham Forest last season, he's a very good player. Attached to a really good story. His rise through the game has been excellent. Good set piece taker. Oh. Um, yeah, Ampadu is still there. Like Harry Wilson is in his mid, well, almost coming to his mid twenties. Connor Roberts, Nico Williams, these are not old players. They will have another few tournaments, a uh, few tournament cycles in them. Yeah. So it's not that. Um, it's not that it's all or nothing now. You just wonder. I disagree. I think it is. But but knowing what this is the thing, like knowing what you do about Wales' qualification for not just this tournament, but um, the Euros in 2016, you remember the moments from Gareth Bale, really. Yeah. And you remember that when it mattered, he was the one that created something or did something. He was a talisman. And ultimately, like from a, from a social perspective, I think being able for some of these players to be able to play with someone like Gareth Bale, he's got like a million European cups under his belt. Mm. Now, is very, very important. Same for Aaron Ramsey. He's played at the top of the game for a very long time. And so when you step on the pitch as a young player, so as a, as a young Joe Roden or a Connor Roberts or a Nico Williams or whoever, you don't have the inferiority that you might do if you didn't have that star in your, in your midst. And I, yeah. I, I think that's a very difficult thing to replace. And it's a, um, it's also from an opposition standpoint, we, we were talking about England, Wales a little bit earlier, and you would fancy England because player for player, they're better. But the the one kind of the the leveling factor is what if Bale X X X X X what happens next? Well, there's an ellipsis there because he may not be mobile, he may not be kind of the the incendiary player that he was at Spurs and Real Madrid all those years ago, but he can still produce something in an isolated moment. And without that, all of a sudden the opposition is a little bit less to fear and can play yeah. in a slightly different way. So um, it's very difficult. And a player like Gareth Bale uh, comes along once in a generation. Well, I guess you just got to cross your fingers for Bale too. Bale two, Bale squared. Bale two is meant to be quite good. Yeah. C- can I can I say on a serious note before we move on from Wales? I, d- I missed this news yesterday. I only saw this this morning. Um, but I was a bit disappointed with uh, Rob Page is the Wales manager, isn't he? Yeah. Rob Page. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed with the, his comments pre-game related to Germany and how Germany might be retrospectively a bit disappointed that they that their players took a stance against the the one love yeah. armband thing as a you know because of the result. I'm not. Not certain that there'll be any correlation between those two things, but I also don't think. Whilst uh, we have said in this podcast before, there is no ex- no expectation from us that players or managers do say something. I think there is an expectation that they don't say that. Right? <laughs> is that not fair? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't understand this comments. I think uh, we covered it in the podcast that night. Germany lost because they have technical flaws uh, and they're well established and all the weaknesses they have were really well exploited by Japan. Sure. That they chose to protest before the game has nothing to do with anything really. And if, and if your personal opinion as a, as a manager is that keeping your players focused on the football as much as possible is the best thing to do, then by all means do that, but just maybe don't, just don't say that. Yeah. I, 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 um, I would need to hear more. Um, obviously it would be good to hear, um, a justification or explanation for why he thinks that, Mm. but, uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't a a great moment. I don't think. Um, but you know, okay. Well, let's talk about Iran, uh, JJ. Iran, brilliant position in the group now. A uh, draw probably suited them better than it suited Wales, but of course a win is even better. I was writing this as the game was going on. Thoughts on Iran, JJ. Um, Jahanbash is suspended. It's unclear whether Sada Asmin will be uh, injured for the next game or not. 
um, it's not going to be an easy one. For Iran? Yes. No, probably not. I think there's no easy games in the World Cup, though, is there? No. Uh, Iran are decent, so I like them. Sure. And they play nice football. And like I said before, Asmoon is a very nice, tidy player. They have some technically good players. They also played with a lot more aggression and tactical cohesion in the game against Wales, but Wales were dreadful. Yeah. So I think Iran, and Iran hit that, that little phase where they hit the post like twice or something like that. Didn't they? Yeah, I think, yeah. Twice in, the, in 30 seconds. And then uh, they had that chance, which Hennessy smothered at his near post. Yeah. Think, so, and then yeah. Hennessy went and booted the boy into outer space <laughs> yeah. and sent off. Yeah. And then all the pundits were like, mm, I'm not sure that was a the red card. The referee gave it a yellow. <laughs> it was extraordinary. I can't like, what are you thinking? It, it's, it's a red card he in so in many different ways. He kicks him in the head. He's late. He's got his... Yeah. He, he, he's, he's the goalkeeper. endangering an opponent. He's can the goalkeeper. I, and I he's probably say, the last man. No, I've got no, nothing uh, specific against Jurgen Klinsmann, but uh, immediately after the game in so. the punditry, Jurgen Klinsmann spent the, it seemed, well, of what I saw, seemed to spend the entire time talking about how Iran just did fouls constantly and were in the referee's ear the whole game. I remember thinking, did we watch the same game? No. Even if that did happen, they were so much better. Yeah, but I think that's part of what they were doing is what they did a, they didn't do against England was snap into tackles, mm. like do all the, like, the tactical fouling stuff where they're horrible to play against. They weren't like, so you didn't have, Van Pudu receives a ball, someone's on him straight away. As the ball goes to Wilson, someone's on him straight away. And it's, you're going through the back of them. So it's those really uh, frustrating fouls that break the game up. Yeah. Wales could never really get passes going because they were getting broken up. So then they'd have to play really slow phases. They turned it into like a turn-based game rather than a free-flowing arc. But it was more civilization than... Age of Empires, sure. for example. And they made it that way because they're better at Civ. <laughs> yeah. So then Iran uh, beat them at Civ. They, they got, a, I don't know, domination victory. I've got bored of the analogy. Sure. Okay. Well, in which case, let's move on and quickly discuss it. Netherlands won one Ecuador, Seb. Um, Ecuador, another example of a team, rather a bold underdog in this tournament. Really enjoyed watching Ecuador in this. I Arr. felt like... So... Ordinarily, and I, I don't know if this is true or whether it's something that I've imagined from the past, but I've always thought underdogs at World Cup level, they tend to play in kind of roughly the same way, which is that they sit behind the ball, they play on the counter. Now, um, the cliff notes on Ecuador heading into this tournament were uh, really good in transition, and they're exactly as advertised, to be fair. But I think what surprised me is the intricacy of their football and mm. the expression within it. So... Um, for the first 60 minutes especially, they were full of little flicks and their little third-man runs, like really well-constructed play. And it just, it's its nice to see. It's like a, we've talked about inferiority before on this podcast, but um, it's nice to see like, actually, um, that technical confidence. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. It's same with the USA. We talked about how um, in tournaments past, they didn't quite trust the ball out of defense or they thought maybe, well, let's let's play that long or into a channel because we don't want our six getting it. We don't really want him having the ball there. Mm. And that's kind of gone now. I think Ecuador is the same. This is a really good group of players. Like the left-hand side, particularly like um, Hincapi and uh, Estupinan, I think that that's a superb left side and it's going to be together for a very long time as well, which is how, great. How, how do you say his name? Because I kind of want to say it like Estupinor. But is that wrong? Uh, I don't know if I'm right. I, I, I go with Estupinan. I don't know if that's correct. I've, I've heard that on commentary. Estupinan, I, I think. Estupinan. 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 Wouldn't the, the N have a cedilla if it was Ny in Spanish? I don't know. No? Okay. It's been a I long time. I feel like I'm time. saying it like he's French and I know that's wrong. Okay. Either way, great player. Yeah. Um, 
But I was so impressed, and I, I Platter also had a really, really good game. We know Casado from from Brighton, obviously. And uh, hey, JJ, you were talking about I. We were having a conversation about him in the middle of the game. And I thought he was um, uh, he's going to become a, a really, really excellent player. And you think he's already at his peak? Uh, I think he already Explain is. Explain yourself. Player. Well, I think basically, technically, you're basically the same footballer you'll always be when you're about eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Oh no! I thought I was going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> No, I th- I, well, maybe I think there was time for you because you haven't evolved any of your attributes. So <laughs> technically you are all at once. So yeah, I think there is room for you. What to about my mental game? Hi. It's definitely a mental game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Casido is 21, right? So like his manager, both his last managers, uh, Deserby now and Potter before, has said things about how he is basically, you know, top level off and on the ball. I think he's already a very, very good player. I want to mean this technical thing. Obviously, there'll be things you improve on and you can work on in training, but technically he's the player he is. What will be what you can see is that he can play at a, a really high level at such a young age. So when you put him into a bigger team, which he can definitely play at because you can see how good he is now, yeah. he will look better because he's surrounded by other players who are even better. And that'll be nice. And I like that. Uh, so it sounds like I'm trying to be dismissive and say that he's not no, going to no, be no. better. It's more that... He's already good. One of the things annoying me is like he's not got a high rating in FIFA yet. I don't right. know why I'm talking about FIFA again. I hardly even play it. What, it, what, like, what is his rating in, in ah, FIFA? It's like 79 or 80 or something okay. like that. All but right. it should be like an 83, 84. Okay. Something like that. But then because his potential would be that. Okay. And so you might have that happening later. I think I think there's a general point here is when we're talking about underdogs, uh, I think if you think of all the underdog performances that we've seen in this tournament so far, successful or otherwise, They've all been kind of different. Mm. Like there have been some similarities in that we talked about the uh, the uh, aggression that was familiar between the kind of the Tunisian team and the Saudi Arabian side, sure. But we've also seen interesting tactical details. So like high line, we talked about kind of expressive football. Talked about kind of physical football. Every every there's a sort of there's the full rainbow of of like approaches to sort of taking down a sort of a, a favoured side. Um, and I don't think there's a, a a vast gap between the Netherlands and and Ecuador, but there is a significant one yeah. like, historically. Um, but it's just so nice to see because it means that when you tune into a game, you don't quite know what you're about to watch. And that's just a real positive in any any football tournament, obviously. That's right, Seb. Let's talk about Frankie de Jong now. Right. Uh, because uh, Frankie de Jong got a bit of criticism uh, after this game. So yeah. says Seb Stafford-Bloor. Um, what, what happened there? Well, the the criticism didn't come from Seb Stafford. He just noted the criticism. You just noted the I criticism. I observed the criticism and yeah. I put it in the podcast plan. And you 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 observed I it. And you you personally, reacted to it. Yeah, I personally felt he's a little bit slow with the ball. A little because JJ, I like this because yeah. JJ thinks something different, and okay, I thought you guys could that. have like a kind of um, an argument, a conversation. No, no, no. A battle to the death. Yes. A battle to the death. Yeah, a fight in the streets. That's right. I wouldn't have Seb would battery in a fight in the streets, but I. I think over this I table, like, and I, I feel like of, in the office, I could be you're all right. A, you're an elusive and smart. I think if I knew it was happening, I'd be all right. But yeah, you are devious. Yeah, yeah. I think if you <laughs> just started on the outside, I think it'd be ended. Anyway, Frankie de Jong, uh, I like him. So what he's doing for the Netherlands, I'm going to show this on the board for people who are listening on the podcast. Right, what he does is he picks up the ball from deep and he carries it. So Netherlands go from being a defensive little team into the attacking section of the pitch i'm quite tired uh so that's what he does but what he was doing was a lot in this game was that uh the netherlands weren't um they were leaving themselves really open so the, the wing backs were, were going really high and wide and leaving loads of space and then the center backs you know how liverpool are really disjointed quite a lot at the moment 
So like Van Dyke looks very yeah. right. So it looks very much like that. Van Dyke and Timber and Aki were very loose with each other. So the uh, Joe's making faces at me just so you know if you're <laughs> no. listening to this. So what you have is them looking very separate from each other. And uh, who were they playing against? Ecuador. <laughs> were able to take advantage of that and they were looking really dangerous. And that's how whenever Lencia scored his goals and whatever. But what's happening was that De Jong noticed that and was trying to slow it down and calm things down. So he was taking the ball and then rather than spray it to say like Ecuador had pushed up, right? And they had other players pushing forward because they changed their shape, Ecuador, to match um, Netherlands. So when they had someone like maybe Bergvine or I know Gakpo or whoever trying to get in behind, De Jong might have had the option to play a ball in to, especially Dumfries actually, who was trying to run on the outside. So Dumfries is trying to make a run on the outside of his man to get into space. De Jong had the ball and he would have seen it, but rather than play that ball, he was trying to slow it down. So actually he may have been able to put the team through, but the whole point was that he was trying to slow it down so they can get back into shape, get their rest defence that John McKenzie likes a lot. And uh, he is correct because then what would happen is that uh, they would be able to have a better defensive shape to be able to stop all the chances they were conceding. So it looked like De Jong was kind of stopping them being an attacking threat and making them less interesting to watch. But he's just trying to control the game, and that's what good players do. Do you have a retort? Well, firstly, I'm a very gentle person. Like, I'm a very mild-mannered, you know. Are you still talking about the fight? I wanted to address that first, yes. Right. Of course I did. It, he's doing what we do and bringing the bit up that's funny, because yeah. what yeah. I did was boring. Right. I, I just wanted... I didn't want to leave that hanging in the air as a kind of, you know... About the, your toxicity. No, I, there's nothing toxic about me. I'm and right. I like it, because normally Seb would respect the, the boring bit and not acknowledge it was boring. Not but sure. he's he's... A very clever change of he's allow, He's allowing... You are uh, clever, aren't you? ...to mm. dismiss things I'm seeing now, and I like that. Yeah. Things I'm accepted. Why did David Clarsen play? Because... Uh, I asked that because... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Because... Is this actually going to be interesting? Yes, it is. Because... Let, okay, hold, before you start. Yeah. Chat, wait until Seb's finished, and then let's have an answer from JJ, and once we're done, we'll come back to the chat for reviews out of 10 of how interesting this is. Okay. And then the chat will decide. Okay, so I understand pushing Cody Gakpo into the forward line alongside Steven Bergwijn. That's fine. But when you put Klaassen in there, does that replicate what Gakpo is able to provide in terms of like creativity, goal-scoring threat, but also the ability to carry the ball too? That feels a little bit lopsided to me. Well, no, he's a different player. So the whole point of this 5-2-1-2 is exactly the same system that Scotland play. So what you need to have is two players who can work the channels. So what you often yeah. get is like, uh, something that will happen like this so Bergvine will move out to the wing if I can draw an arrow I'll draw an arrow he can draw it to the wing and then when he does that it means that someone like Blind can underlap it's actually more common on the right because you've got Denzel Dumfries who underlaps when they go out wide so you've got your wide player and you still have a player who underlaps Dumfries is very um, involved in the attacking phase now Klassen is essentially like a 9.5 a 10 but uh, when so when they're attacking he can join in to uh, arrive in the box late a bit like Roberto Firmino and that sort of thing but what you also get is when they're trying to press it looks like a two, but actually it's a one if they, or a three if they push Klassen forward. So they've got a front three. You've got Klassen can put pressure to show the ball either side. If he goes this side of a defender, goes to the defender's left side, the ball will then be shown to the right. And then Bergman can come across, show it to the wide to the other person out in the wing. And then that's a trap. And they can cross, like squeeze up and win the ball that way. But Klassen just does, he's just good tactically. He's a solid footballer. He's not the same as other ones because he's a different kind of player. But it, it works tactically. But you're asking him to be both like a pivot and a goal scorer in that he's system. Not, he's right? not a pivot though. He's just there to be part of a press and to help link. Um, you're not putting everything through him. It's so he can arrive in, in late. I mean, Scotland, I think the person that plays it normally is 
like Stuart Armstrong, John McGinn would do it. They're not pivots either. They're just players who can help with the press, but also link uh, in the final third and just arrive in places to finish I just, off. Moves. I just consider Armstrong to be a more athletic player than someone like Klaassen. I, I don't, I, it's not that well, I don't maybe. rate him. I just prefer him as a kind of, almost as an eight. I just think it's more effective when he's got something ahead of him that's actually central. You need all the pieces around him. I understand that. You need the creation of the overlaps. Definitely. I'm not allowed to use the board, so I can't illustrate it. But you can use um, the board. I'm not touching it. Now. No, 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 I, no. You allow me to use the board, but oh. you know, you, you know, can use the board. Him. Him. No, listen. Uh, the, the results in the chat so far are annoyingly positive. Okay. So okay. I think the so chat wants to see you use the board. I don't want him there. I don't want him there. I want him behind. Not Bergwijn, but someone like, uh, for instance... <laughs> and the audio uh, listeners now know why Seb's not allowed to use the board. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't so, want him there. I can I can deal with uh, Gakpo playing this this role because Gakpo's got the broader skill set, which allows him to be a goal threat all across this area. We've seen it in the Champions League, seen it in Holland. Like, when Memphis is fit, like, you could play him like that. But when you've got when you've got someone, like what oh oh sorry I'm t- I'm, almost, the, my joke is that no one knows no one listening knows what you're talking about uh, you don't yeah. like him here or here okay. or here okay a clever I, animator would I put in pictures of a fridge like, and then a forest I don't like Clarkson in any kind of force nine situation ah. um, because he doesn't have the ability to do it like he's not technically good enough for that role he's not Roberto Firmino so I want a player like Gakpo there in in that sort of in that attacking midfield role because he can score goals anywhere from within sort of 25 yards he can also move into the box mm. as we saw in the first game and also like you bring a memphis and a bergwine in with him there all of a sudden you have a versatility which i just don't think that class provides that's but then, what it is well the reason is gapo can play as a winger as well so you play gapo up top alongside bergwine who's also a winger and then what you get the arm movement around you okay. is that they can both move into the channels that you want moving around where <laughs> well, they both the channels. It was like we want from your front two in the system. You've got twelve players on there. Yeah, yes. I, I, I brought on, yeah, on Memphis. Seth's yeah. done something, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> I brought him on. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not an accident. There's twelve players. I on want the to board. finish off this Classen thing. No. <laughs> Do you may recall David Classen from his days at Ajax, where he was very, very good playing in exactly this role as a ten behind forwards. Sometimes as a forward, he scored lots of goals. In fact. He scored 10 goals one year and he scored, uh, wait, that was a different team. He scored 13 goals and 14 goals. He was so good, in fact, that Everton paid £23.5 million, according to the football manager I've got on screen in front of me right now. And that's what he did. He was that good. But then he was not very good For a long at time. Everton at all. Because that the role he plays there, he didn't either have the dynamism, like you're saying, nor um, really the technical, creative skill set to be able to do the things you want to do. He's just a good footballer that can play in that area. It's hard to work out kind of really what he is. I, I, but it, he is good. Producer Don's yawning me. now. Okay, yeah. okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. But I think you have broadly positive reviews I, from the... I just, I'm prepared to accept that this one's on me. Okay? I look at that... Du- I look at the Dutch bench and there are just better options. I mean, not necessarily Vincent Janssen. I'm a Spurs fan. I know what Vincent Janssen is. I know what his limitations are. Vout Vikos. That's a very interesting option. Like, it just confuses me. That's all. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. Fair it enough. It was a question rather than a statement. Abs- no, absolutely. I yeah. think it went fine. Okay. Yeah, I think you should fine. use the board more. I would like to. I just, I'm not allowed to practice on it or use it. And when I'm when I try to be helpful, I did a helpful thing earlier in this episode when I switched two players that were wrongly positioned. Oh, no one noticed that. No one thanked you for that. No did one thanked me for that. Well, no. thank you, Seb. Yeah, thank yous in the chat for Seb. Um, let's have a break now. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Rexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, Qatar won three Senegal. Um, you Cat- said underwater when you said that. Mm. Yes, like I, with bubbles in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Qatar, uh, first team eliminated, JJ. It's not a surprise, um, but it's presumably not what Qatar would have wanted. Are you asking me, did Qatar want to go out of the group? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm asking you is, what you a know, great question. A, a look at this, a, over a decade of the Aspire Academy, ex-Barcelona coach in charge, um, there were, you know, there were higher expectations than what has been. Yes, they were. They were more underwhelming than I expected. I think they wanted to do better than what they did. Right. Yeah. Um, but they lack many of the components required to have done that. Right. Such as composure, technical skill, and power. Yeah. Okay. Ultimate power. Okay. Well, in which case, let's discuss Senegal uh, because, of course, they've got three points on the board now which is setting up a winner-takes-all scenario between Senegal and Ecuador, something you predicted earlier on in the tournament, Seb. That's mm. going to be a really exciting one, isn't it? Who takes it? A quick one here. Who takes it, Senegal or Ecuador? Ecuador. Ecuador. I'm more impressed with Ecuador, I think. What about you? Who's better? Well, who's going to win that game? Uh, I started singing the Ecuador song in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Senegal. You think Senegal? Yes. Okay. I'll be curious to know what, what John predicts for that when we get a little bit closer as well, the, the dividing vote. Um, fine. Listen, we'll, we're looking forward to that game. We'll talk about that a lot more. I think we've we've um, got to rush through to the next bit now. We'll talk about JJ's uh, first round takeaways. You weren't here yesterday when the first round of games concluded. And I would now like to discuss your thoughts broadly yes. on those games. Who do you like, JJ? Who do I like? I like... Spain. Spain. Spain were really good. They were good. Uh, I can tell you like, really quickly what I think of all of it. Okay. Do I have to tell you? Spain, really great. Great. Um, Qatar, Wales, Costa Rica, dreadful. England, very impressive in the first game. Seemed to have managed it fine in the second. Yes. Argentina, tactically very poor. They need wingers. Uh-huh. Uh, Brazil, decent. Germany should have been better. <laughs> Japan. Uh, Is this your audition for ordinary guy? <laughs> uh, what's that? What's ordinary, ordinary guy with normal opinions. What's that? It's just a role a I've invented person. for the oh, right. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm a top tier football analyst. Yeah. Morocco, Tunisia. You're a top tier football analyst. Japan all surprised me. I wrote. You all surprised me by how good how good they were because I watched a lot of teams before the World Cup. And let me tell you, Morocco, Tunisia, Saudi Arabia and Japan did not look good. No. Mm. Australia were about as good as I thought they'd be. 
Um, and Qatar were exactly as... Well, that's almost all the teams, isn't it? I know. I'm just trying to cover all bases. Yeah. Portugal were poor, uh, especially with Ronaldo on the pitch. Yeah. He doesn't move much, but he did almost score. It's an odd... He did score. He did score, and I think it should have counted. (laughs) So, yeah. He did score, didn't he? Not a penalty, but he scored a real goal. He scored a real goal. He doesn't count. He scored an offside goal in the first one. Right. No, I wasn't inside. He he, he, he nudged the boy off the ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I I mean, I fear that you've covered so many bases that all of my other questions are already answered. You told me you were going to do this, and then I prepared. Right. You prepared to destroy the segment in under 60 seconds. Give me one answer for this. One of your best answers, please, sir. Biggest surprise for you so far. Biggest surprise. Yeah. Uh, well, well, hmm. Worst things that were surprising that happened. Saudi Arabia beating <laughs> Argentina. Yeah, that's that one. That's that, that one. Yeah. That was surprising. I really didn't think that would happen. Japan beating Germany. I think no, no. It's, it's Saudi Arabia because Japan I can see happening because Germany sort of let that slip. And I think uh, even though I agree with you that the Rudiger silly dance wasn't like him doing the funny run wasn't that was weird, wasn't it? It wasn't why they lost or anything like that. Nothing to do with off pitch stuff. There's a, a certain level of. <clears throat> Uh, the assumption that they'd won the game. Whereas Saudi Arabia, having watched them, like, because I just couldn't figure out if they're good enough. And I remember in the other World Cup, they were quite fun to watch for 15 minutes, then they got yeah. beaten 5 0, basically. Yeah, and Russia, yeah. It, yeah, and in a similar thing now, so they've got technically quite good uh, players um, al- along the team. And I know how they play and what they do. And I thought they'd change a little bit for this tournament. And then, the, like, the energy and the momentum they come out with in that second half was yeah. unbelievable. It was so, so impressive. And I wanted them to win by the end of it. Yeah. I, I really wanted Argentina to win for Messi. And I think that was the surprising part. And um, I don't even think it was that they were lucky. I think it was that they maximized the only possible way they could have won that game and played all the way to it. They did everything they could have done. Because yeah. they're, so, they're so much worse a team than Argentina, but they had better balance in that day and better aggression. And that's sometimes what all you need. It's, and I quite, loved it. it's quite a nice one uh, for, for a World Cup, isn't it, really? Because I mean, there's a couple of things that, that come out of it. I mean, there was the video of all of the young Saudi fans uh, dancing around to, to Free From Desire, which was quite fun. Um, and also, we saw listeners to the podcast, uh, Abdullah, outside, um, outside our office. One of our favourite listeners had a quick chat. Abdullah from from Dubai, who referenced the fact that uh, he had a number of friends at that game who were all overwhelmed with the with the result. I mean, it's quite a meaningful one for the Middle East, isn't it? Yeah, it was nice. It was it was really interesting to hear Abdullah talk about it. It was, uh, yeah, I didn't really appreciate it from that perspective, and I don't think you can if you're if you live outside of the Middle East. I don't know. um, I can't relate to what it would mean for for that result uh, to happen. But it was um, it was extraordinary. Have you seen the um, Have you seen the footage of the halftime team talk? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Isn't well, there's a bit of psychology that I like about it. Is he starts sitting with the players to be yeah. as one of them, be all these psychological tricks to play with him, so they're with him. Then he can stand up and start delivering it. Uh, what I thought was really good was the translator who was saying everything he was saying in exactly the same cadence and uh, rhythm, obviously a different language uh, to the players. Highlight was brilliant. Yeah. So that guy's just as important as the manager. <laughs> He's relaying the actual information. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was genuinely surprised by how good England looked in that first game as well, but I think that might also be. Um, Iran. Hard to tell, isn't it? Yes. Hard to tell. Okay, fine. Well, listen, there'll be much more discussing of all of these teams. No one is eliminated yet until uh, the next few days. So we'll... Uh, well, Qatar. Well, Qatar. Qatar. I forgot about yes. Qatar. <laughs> yes. I'm sure we'll talk more about Qatar. The tournament is being hosted there after all. Let's do points about. Should we put our headphones back on and enjoy ourselves a song? Yes. Hit that play button, Don. Bobby Charlton, comb over. Oh, it's the remix. It's the remix, JJ. Yeah, yeah. 
go. What a lovely song. We can all take our headphones off. Good fade timing, Don. Yeah. Points of bad time. Okay, uh, points of bad... Uh, it's time to discuss the points from yesterday. Now, there were some uh, decent predictions yesterday. I, in fact, this has been one of our better days for overall points added, I can tell you. Um, we have a... Uh, still the same current leader, of course, it's JJ. He hasn't been overtaken. There weren't that many points I'm in leader. today. You're not the leader of the day. Oh. You're the loser of the day. Oh. But you are the leader overall still. It was so tight. Our winner today was John McKenzie, who only added seven points. Uh-huh. Yeah, he had quite a good day. Well done, John. Seb and I did eight. I was sort of, um, uh, I, I got in trouble after the final game. I was doing really well. What did you predict? 3-1. So right, I added four okay. points yeah. there. Uh, but I was only on four before the final That's game. That's pretty good. Pretty proud of that. And JJ Bull, you added nine for the day. Uh, your uh, predictions there, including uh, 2-1 USA. You had three, uh, no, you had uh, 2-0 for Netherlands, Ecuador. So that one was not that far off. Um, but you had Qatar four, nil Senegal. Not that far off. You, you managed to add nine. I had Senegal four. Huh? It was nil four. Nil four, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's right, yeah. Anyway, so it of course goes to John to go last. JJ Bull, you get to do your picks first today. So let's begin with Tunisia Australia, which is the, the first game of tomorrow. I'm gonna go with uh, one nil Tunisia. One nil Tunisia. Okay, yeah. that is good to know. Uh, Seb, you and I are next, so you can go next if you want. I go one nil Australia. You want a one nil Australia? That's a nil one. Okay. Yeah. And I thought Tunisia were really good the other day. But Australia did score a goal, didn't they? I'm going to say nil two Australia. Very excited. Uh, no, 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 sorry. Two nil Tunisia is what I meant to say. I don't know why I did that. And John's predictions here. John has two nil as his first choice. He's got three nil as his second choice to Tunisia. So we'll give him the three nil there. Okay. In the nil nil slot. Uh, JJ, back to you. Poland, Saudi Arabia tomorrow. Uh, 1-0 Poland. You want a 1-0 Poland. Okay, Seb? 0-0. You think that's a 0-0? I think that's not a bad shout, given that uh, Saudi Arabia probably are very happy with a draw out of that. I'm going to say 1-1. I a lot out of them in the Argentina game. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to go for a 1-1. John has 1-0 as his first. He's got 2-1 Poland as his second choice, so we'll give him a 2-1. Uh, JJ France, Denmark. 2-1 uh, to France 2-1 to France Okay, uh, Seb Stafford, Blood Denmark We haven't seen much from him yet, have we? 1-1 one, one. You think that's a 1-1? That's, one. Better. that's better He mm-hmm. likes it I think okay. there's something in Denmark Do you? Yeah, yeah, I do I'm going to go for a 1-0 France And down below, John McKenzie sends us He has 2-0 as his first option Which he can have to France So he predicts no goals That's all very tight here We're at the stage now where the score predictions are so close that it's very difficult for there to be much lateral movement. So it's all ones here and there. The final game of the day, a cracker, Argentina-Mexico. JJ Bull, you get to go first. What do you think of this one? 1-0 to Argentina. You think 1-0? I think that's not a bad shout, actually. They're desperate for a result after the first game. They'll be riding it tight. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor? 3-1 Argentina. Oh, he's gone the other direction. I don't know. God, I don't know what to say. I'm going to go for 2-0 because I'm afraid. And John McKenzie says 3-0 to Argentina. Okay. All right. So I can tell you that the final scores, the grand totals so far at the end of day six, I am in last place at, with 53 points. Now remember, points are bad. Uh, Seb Stafford Bloor, you are on the second last place with 51 points. Points are bad. Uh, John is on 45 points, just two behind JJ. So I'm winning. In 43, you managed to lose the day 
because there was only two points in it, you see. And uh, you managed to win overall the grand for day six uh, so far. Did I do best in the earlier games of this game? And now I'm not doing as well. Was yeah, it? Last, yesterday, yeah. I was about to say last Yeah, one week. of the great days in yesterday, points of bad Yesterday, I think you had the best day ever yeah. in points of bad. You only added three <sighs> points with four games. You got two score draw accurate predictions and you added uh, three points in the other two games. It was a very Did impressive I? day. Yeah. Very impressive. Whereas John added eight, I added 11, Seb added nine. You really built up a, 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 a bit of a lead there. Um, but of course, John was leading up until today. Uh, so there you go. You can be glad to have taken over from him. It's all getting very tight. I forgot we were live then for a second. Keep <laughs> uh, <laughs> the headphones on so you remember that we're live. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. A lot of things. <laughs> all righty then. Uh, Seb Stafford Bloor, thank you very much. We'll see you again tomorrow, I believe. Yes, you will. Jeremiah. Yes, absolutely. JJ Bull, it's your day off tomorrow, but we'll be joined again by John McKenzie, won't we? Yes, it's never a day off though, Joe. I watch all the games. Yeah, except it literally is. Uh, Don, producer Don, and producer Jamie, thanks very much for your help today. Oh, they don't say they don't talk. Forgot about that. And uh, what was I going to say? It's not a day off, though, is it? Because there'll be there'll, there'll be days on for you coming up soon as well. Because uh, Seb's going to miss a couple of the uh, round of sixteen qualifying games, so it'll be a me, John, and JJ affair. Wow! And we'll get to have double board action, a bit like today, but different to today. <laughs> okay thank you very much for joining us and uh, we will see you again tomorrow night <laughs> <laughs>